Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My soul will make his boast in the Lord. The saints will hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Is anybody know God is worthy of all the praise from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same? Our God is worthy to be praised. And we certainly honor him today. And we thank God for one of the greatest pastors in the country, Pastor Darren Shesky. Let's thank God for the angel of this house, pastor of this church, my friend and my brother. And I thank God for... Uh, the invitation to come and share, and uh, glad to have members of our congregation who are present with us, and Pastor Ken Sullivan, I see you hiding up there in the balcony, my brother, I appreciate uh, your support on tonight, the pastor's already introduced my wife of 25 years, I'm not going to, and uh, thank God for her being present, and I won't do like Pastor Jenkins last night and try to remember the names and ages of all my children. Uh, but my youngest son, KJ, is here, and I appreciate uh, them being present and, and uh, just our church coming alongside. This is one of the busiest times as we close out December, move into the new year. So I really appreciate y'all coming alongside and, uh, and encouraging me by being present tonight as we glorify God. I'm getting used to being at Heartland in January. I'm just going to write it on my calendar every year. Even if I'm not on the preach, I know where I'm going to be. Uh, to start the year off, to come and to celebrate with the Heartland Church, with all that God is doing in this ministry, all the souls that are being saved and the lives that are being changed and people being blessed. Our community is better because of this ministry, and I celebrate God with you. And our eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard, neither has it entered into the heart of humanity, what God is going to do in this ministry. But I believe his Holy Spirit is revealing it. God is not through with you yet. And let me say thank you to your pastor for allowing me to uh, make my newest book available to you, Dialogue with My Daughters out in the lobby. You'll be able to get it. 60% of the children being born in America are being born to single parents, 60%. And oftentimes those fathers are not in those children's lives. And we know that uh, boys and girls need their daughters, but what a negative impact is having on some of our, our daughters to not have their father in their life. It is that relationship with their father, whether it is good or bad, that is going to paint the picture and uh, color every relationship that they're going to have the rest of their lives. And many of them have not had that dialogue that they need to have. I have four sons. God did not bless me with a daughter. And then God said, but I blessed you with so many spiritual daughters. And so I had a word for them that I wanted to put in this book to be a blessing uh, to them. And not only to the, to the young women and girls who have not had their fathers in their lives, but there are some who had their fathers in their lives. They were present in the house but didn't know what to say. Good providers, there when they needed to be there, but they didn't know what to say and how to say it. And so this is going to get you the information that you should have received from your father. And then all the men who have daughters, you don't automatically know what to say. That is not innate within you. But I pulled some principles out of the word of God that you can share with your daughter so you'll know where to go in the word. It's not going to be enough just to say, don't do it, because I said don't do it. That's, that ain't going to get it. And then y'all keep fighting. That's not going to be the answer. So uh, I know the book would be a blessing to you, and I encourage you to get it. Uh, chapter one is about handle your beliefs. You are not your hair. Chapter two is handle your body. Keep your cookies in the cookie jar. Chapter three is handle your brain, free your mind, and the rest will follow. 
Chapter 4 is handle your business. Girl, get your money straight. Chapter 5 is handle your blessings. Do you? And chapter 6 is handle your basics. Put a ring on it. So I know that that'll be a blessing to you. I've also, amen, amen. I've also written a journal to go along with it. I know that uh, writing is therapeutic. And after you hear your heavenly father speak to you to be able to write those ideas down to God is speaking in your spirit. And uh, so I encourage you to get that before you leave. But that's not why we're here tonight. Your pastor asked me to come and preach. And so I want to do that. If you would open uh, your Bibles to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 9. If you can't find Zechariah, go to the last book of the Old Testament. That's Malachi. Turn left, go one block, and you will be at Zechariah, where the pages are still stuck together in your Bible. Zechariah chapter 6. Go to the last book of the Old Testament. Go one, one book over. You will be in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 9. Let us pray. Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight I want to preach about life's crowning moment. Life's crowning moment. Verse 9, the word of God says, Then I received another message from the Lord. Helda, Tobijah, and Judea will bring gifts of silver and gold from the Jews exiled in Babylon. As soon as they arrive, meet them at the home of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Accept their gifts and make a crown from the silver and gold. Then put the crown on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. What is your crowning moment? What is, what is the highest level of, of attainment for you? Your crowning moment. What is that? The, the peak of possibility for you. The, the summit of your accomplishment. What is that for you? Is it graduating from, from the school you attended? Is it, is it getting that degree? What is that crowning moment? Is it, is it when you got married because you found Mr. Wright or Miss Wright? What is that crowning moment for you? Is it giving birth to your children? Is it starting that company? Is it getting that dream job? Is it moving into your dream home? What is the pinnacle of your possibility, the highest level of achievement and accomplishment for you? Is it some kind of musical or artistic or athletic accomplishment that you have had in your life? Well, for Zechariah, the prophet of the Lord, the crowning moment for him was the revelation that he had about Jesus Christ, recognizing him as priest, prophet, and king. Not only recognizing him, but receiving him into his life. And I want you to understand something. No matter what you've accomplished, no matter what you have done in your life, you have not reached the pinnacle of your possibility if you have not accepted Jesus Christ. I don't care how much money you've made. I don't care what you drive, what neighborhood you live in, what degree you hold, who you met, who you've run with. If you have not recognized Jesus 
as the only begotten son of God and believed him by faith into your life, you have not reached the pinnacle of the possibility that God has for you. The setting of this passage of scripture is after the Babylonian captivity. I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on this, but my friend, Pastor Joe Freeman, is a scholar, so I'm going to have to say something about this. Um, it was because of the sin and the disobedience of, of the Hebrew people that God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army to come into Israel and to conquer Israel because of their sin and their disobedience. And they tore down the walls of Jerusalem and they burned down the gates and they destroyed their homes and they destroyed the temple and left the temple of God in ruin. And they took some of the Jews into bondage back in Babylon, not all of them, but those that they thought were the brightest and the most intelligent, the most gifted ones, the talented ones. And they took them into bondage in Babylon and they were in bondage for 70 years and then they were released from bondage. When that happened, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the priest that I just read about, Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel led some of them back into Jerusalem. All of them did not come out initially. They, some stayed in Babylon. And they rebuilt their homes, and they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem with the help of Nehemiah. And they rebuilt their schools and their businesses and all of that. But the temple of God was still lying in ruin. So Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, Zechariah, Haggai, was encouraging them after 14 years of being back, you've had enough time to build your own house, but you have left the Lord's house in ruin. It is time to build God's house. That is the setting for this. All of them did not come back. As a matter of fact, as we were reading this, it says that there were few of them who were going to be coming from Babylon with an offering of silver and gold that they are going to contribute to the building of the house of God, the temple of God. And God was telling Zechariah what to do with it, to take it, to make a crown out of it, and then take that crown and put it on the head of Joshua the high priest. Not Joshua that ran with Moses, but Joshua the high priest with Zerubbabel. And, and I understood something with this, that Zechariah was a man of vision. And because he was a man of vision, that is the reason why those people did not mind coming from Babylon to make a contribution to the house of God. But I noticed that the contribution followed the vision. It was first the man of God, Zechariah, that had the vision. And the vision was followed by contribution from the people. Because when you get home, read Zechariah, start with chapter 1. He has a vision of a rider on a red horse and a vision of the four horns and a vision of the four artisans. In chapter 2, he has a vision of a man with a measuring line and a vision of the confrontation in heaven in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he has a vision of the lampstand and the two olive trees. In chapter 5, he has a vision of a flying scroll and the vision of a woman in the ephah. In chapter 6, he has a vision of the four chariots and the vision that I just read to you about the crowning of Joshua the high priest. And I'm bringing this up because those of us who are present tonight who are pastors and are Christian leaders, it is important for us to recognize the need of the vision of God and to be able to make that vision clear. We can't expect for people to make contributions when we have no vision. That's why God told Habakkuk that when you receive my vision, you make that vision so clear that you write it down, that even when they're running, even when people are in a hurry, that they can see the vision. 
And a lot of time at Eastern Star Church, people will talk about Jeffrey Johnson's vision and Pastor Johnson's vision. I don't have a vision. It is God's vision. It is God that has revealed it to me. And as God has revealed it to me, I have revealed it to the people of God. It is not Jeffrey Johnson's vision. It is God's vision. And even as I look at the Heartland Church and I see the vision that Darren Shesky has had, Pastor Darren has a wonderful vision. And he made it so clear that he's written it. So when I'm riding down I-69, I cannot help but see what God is doing in this ministry. But it is the vision that God has given to the pastor and to the leadership of this ministry. And that vision is so awesome. There's no way that all of these souls would be saved. No way that all these people would be baptized. No way that all these lives would be changed. No way that Fishers and Indianapolis would be better. There is no way all of this would happen had it not been for the vision of God. And whenever you are blessed with a visionary leader, the only response you need to have is contribution. And that's why God says that there are going to be some men that are going to be coming over from Babylon, some Jews from Babylon. They are exiles, and they're going to bring silver and gold. Why? Because they recognize the vision. That's when you can tell when people don't recognize the vision, when there is no contribution, no giving of time, no giving of gift, no giving of talent, no giving of skills, no giving of ability, no giving of money. Why? Because they do not see the vision. Because whenever there's a recognition of vision, there ought to be a contribution made. And I already know what it is. We got one excuse after another why we don't give. And the three men that came over from Babylon, and they brought, notice they brought silver and gold. I might as well say a word about that. They didn't bring bronze and wood. They brought silver and gold. Not that bronze and wood would not be a part of that temple, but these men brought their best. They didn't just go in their pocket and pull out any denomination that they had. They said that when I give, I want to give God my best. Since he is the king of kings, I'm bringing him the king of medals. We are bringing gold. We're bringing silver. We're bringing God our best without excuse. Because some of us say, no, it's, I don't give not because I don't see the vision. I don't give because I got a lot of excuses why I don't give. You think these men didn't have excuses? 70 years of bondage as a people. And even though they're no longer in bondage, they can still feel the residue of the bondage that they were in. They could have used that for an excuse. They could have used for an excuse that we're not even living in Jerusalem. We live in Babylon. Why would we give an offering over there when we live over here? That could have been an excuse. They could have used for an excuse that we're not even in Jerusalem. That's our permanent residence. We're over here in a temporary situation. That we, we had our home foreclosed and now we're living in an apartment. This is just temporary and that's why we're not giving because I'm not in my home in Jerusalem. They could have used that for an excuse. They could have said that this is not our final destination. We got a long way to go from Babylon to Jerusalem and we got so long to go and that's why we're not giving. But they didn't make excuses. They became an example. See, it's the difference between making excuses and becoming an example. Excuses simply build monuments to nothing. Every excuse is a brick. And when you get finished, you ain't got nothing. But when you become an example, thousands of years later, we'll be still talking about you as a model of what it means to be a part of the ministry and the work of God. These men were givers. These men said, I recognize the vision that God has put in this ministry, and I have no problem making a contribution to that. 
and I only heard one amen and all of that, which means that somebody in here has an issue. When we don't understand the importance of giving to God. I know when we, when I use illustrations, I already know I'm supposed to use illustrations that people can identify with. So I'm going out on a limb with this illustration. Some of y'all may have never heard of Flip Wilson, but Flip Wilson was a black comedian back in the late 60s and early 70s. He had this variety show. And, uh, and actually it was, um, it, it was a multicultural piece. Actually, he had diversity in it. And he was the first black comedian that came on national television like that. That's, that's long before Richard Pryor had his show and Red Fox and later Cedric the Entertainer. Flip Wilson did. And Flip Wilson would do all of these skits and a very funny and gifted comedian. I know they didn't show it in Haiti, Pastor Darren. So let me explain to you the way he would operate. He would put on these skits, and one of the skits that he had was, was, was this church, the church of what's happening now. Y'all remember that? And he was the pastor of the church. He was Reverend Leroy, the pastor of the church of what's happening now. And so he was trying to get the congregation to understand if we're going to be the church of what's happening now, we got to go from crawling to walking, from walking to running, and from running to flying. And if we're going to be the church of what's happening now, he says that if we're going to go from crawling to walking is when we evangelize and we share our faith and tell others about God. And, and it, was a, it was a black church, so they talked back to him when they were preaching. It wasn't no monologue. It was a dialogue. So somebody, he said, we, we, got, we got to evangelize. And if we're going to go from crawling to walking, somebody said, make it walk, preacher, make it walk. And he said, now, if we're going to be the church of what's happening now, we got to go from, from walking to running. And if we're going to go from walking to running is when we fast and pray. So we can't be the church of what's happening now and go from walking to running unless we fast and pray. And somebody said, make it run, preacher, make it run. And he said, we're going to be the church of what's happening now to go from running to flying. We got to dig way down in our pockets and come up with some large, generous offerings to the Lord. And somebody hollered out, make it crawl, preacher, make it crawl. And I'm mighty afraid that that's why ministries are crawling across America and ministries and churches are crawling because we have not yet learned how to be generous with God. And what you don't understand is when we dig way down in our pockets and come up with some large, generous contributions of silver and gold, when we give God our best, it is not God trying to take something from us. It is God trying to give something to us. If God wanted to take something from you, God can take you and leave everything you have. But God says, when you bring the tithe and the offering, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You don't have room to receive it all. That when you give, I'll give back to you good measures, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That when you sow a little, you reap a little. But when you sow a lot, you reap a lot. Grandma and them used to say, you can't beat God giving. The more you give to him, the more God gives to you. Do I have a witness in this place? God is setting you up to bless you. And, and God told Zechariah that when they bring this, these offerings of, of silver and gold to the build the temple, he said, I want you to take a portion of that and make a crown. Take the crown and put it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. Take the crown, put it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. God is telling the prophet, the man of God, that when people give their contributions, when they give their offerings, you have to take those offerings and put something together so that people will have a clear vision as to who Jesus is. 
This is 2,500 years before Jesus was born, but Zechariah already had a clear vision. When the people gave the offering, he put something together, that crown, to give a true revelation as to who Jesus is. Because if we're ever going to have get to the point of life's crowning moment, it is not going to happen until we recognize who the real Jesus is. And he said, take that crown, put it on, on, on Joshua's head. See, Joshua, the high priest, is really, he is, he's the shadow of Jesus that was to come. That when we're looking at Joshua, the high priest in the Old Testament, it is given us, it is given us a highlight of Jesus that is to come. It is it's given us a preview of the Lord that is to come. So if I understand Joshua, the high priest, then I understand Jesus. That's why he put the crown on Joshua's head. Don't put the crown just on anybody's head. Put it on Joshua. He didn't say on Zerubbabel's head. He didn't say on Zachariah's head. He didn't say on Haggai's head. He said not on some politician's head, not on some business person's head, but put the crown on the right head. And the reason why some of us are in so much frustration is because we have crowned somebody, but the issue is we've crowned the wrong person. It is to put the crown on Joshua's head. Why is that significant? Because Joshua, Yeshua, Joe Freeman, Yeshua is Joshua in the Old Testament. It's the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. It means God's salvation. Put the crown on God's salvation. Why? Because I want people to know who the real Jesus is. So when they see Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they know he's in the saving business. Why? Because the crown is on on Yeshua's head. It's on Jesus. What do you think Jesus' name means? It means God's salvation. Call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save the people from their sin. So my question to you is, when you hear the name of Jesus, what comes to your mind? When somebody says Jesus, what comes to your mind? For some of us, it's guilt and condemnation. And I don't know why guilt and condemnation will come to your mind because there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. For some of us, when we hear the name Jesus, fear comes to mind. We become afraid because we don't have the true revelation as to who he is. When some of us hear the name of Jesus, we go into a panic. We think it's all about punishment, but that is not about who he is. He is the Lord God that saves. He forgives of sin, and it's not until you recognize that name that you can get to where God will have for you to be. When I say the name Tiger Woods, you can't help but think about golf. When I say the name Serena Williams, tennis comes to your mind. You can't help it. If I say LeBron James, you think about basketball. You can't help it. If I say Peyton Manning, you think football. Because their names and their nature and who they are and what they're all about are all tied in together. If I say Bill Gates, you can't help but think about money. Because his name and his nature and all that is tied in together. And when I say the name Jesus... You need to be thinking, that's the one that forgives me of my sin. That's the one that saves my soul. That's the one that gets me right with God. And it is that name that gets you to where you need to be. Last year, I preached at Zion Hope Church in Indianapolis. Pastor Tony McGee, one of our sons in the ministry, he's doing a great job over there. I'm excited about what God is doing in this ministry. So we went over there. The church was celebrating the pastor and his wife. And so they took time to highlight 
what has gone on in the, in the past with the pastor and his wife and, and the successes and the victories the church have had. And, and they honored their pastor and their wife. And they asked me, and those services run kind of long. You can't, can't do that in an hour and 15 minutes. They ran kind of long. So they put me up to preach. And, of course, I always try to preach uh, for 35. I always aim to preach for 35 minutes. But I always aim and miss the mark. But I tried to preach for 35 minutes over there. It ran a little long. But when I got finished preaching, Sister McGee got up and said, Pastor Johnson, we want to thank you for coming. You were such a blessing to this ministry. We love your preaching. And she said, Pastor, my son is three years old, and I want you to know this is the first time he has ever sat through a message and did not move. He wasn't twitching. He wasn't fumbling around and stumbling like he always. I believe this is the first time he has ever sat through a whole message and not moved. He was focused on you the whole time. So I started thinking, man, I am a great preacher. I mean, if you can get a, a three-year-old to listen to you for 40 minutes and not twitch and not move, I mean, to take passage of scripture that is thousands of years old that's been translated into English and then take those principles and make it relevant for our day and time that a three-year-old would sit there and focus on you for 40. What a preacher I must be. And then... Sister McGee said, because pastor, the reason why he didn't move and he was focused on you is you preached out of the book of Joshua and his name is Joshua. And you just kept saying Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. And then the Lord brought me back down to where I'm supposed to be and humbled me. It ain't about my preaching. It was about I kept calling his name Joshua. And the Lord spoke into my spirit that Jeffrey Johnson, if you want to get Yeshua's attention, if you want to get Jesus' attention, just keep calling his name and calling his name. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. In your marriage, in your family, with your job, with your money, in your life, if you want to get the Son of God's attention, I dare you to keep calling his name Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's an, is there anybody in here that know there's power in the name of Jesus and you get his attention when you call his name? And put the crown on his head. Now here's what most of us mess up in understanding who Jesus is. That's why God told Zachariah, put the crown on Jesus' head, the crown that represents royalty and prosperity and authority. Put it on the high priest's head. Now, here's what's so interesting, that now you got the priest with the crown. Something doesn't seem quite right with that. Now you have the descendants of Aaron that is mixing with the descendants of David. All the descendants of Aaron are preachers. All of those are priests. And in order to be the king, you had to be a descendant of David. And those just did not mix. But here is Zechariah that's able to get a revelation, a vision, and see something about the coming of our Lord, that he is both king and priest at the same time. Put the crown on the priest's head? How, there, how can you mix the descendants of Aaron with the descendants of David? How can you mix the, the priestly ministry with, with the ministry of royalty? How can, how can you mix preachers and politicians? How, how can you, okay, here it is. How do you mix church and state? That was what was so difficult. Because like some of us, we think that there ought not be a, a church and state mixed together. That we believe there ought to be separation of church and state. So we won't put the crown on the priest's head. 
Here's the issue with that. When they came up with this separation of church and state, it was never an intent that the church was not supposed to be involved in the state. The issue was the state needs to stay out of the church. It was the freedom of religion. That's why we got from up under the tyranny of the British government so that we can worship the God we want to worship. That's what the separation of church and state is all about. It's so that the government cannot tell you who to worship, when to worship, and how to worship. It is separation of church and state. It is never about the church not getting involved in the state. Y'all, we live in America. And this country is for the people. And this country is by the people. And when I gave my life to Christ and joined the church, I'm still a part of the people. This doesn't mean that I don't register to vote. This doesn't mean that I don't vote. This doesn't mean I don't hold my elected officials uh, accountable for what they're doing and not doing. No, that don't mean I'm not going to say anything. It means you cannot come into our churches and boss us around. But you work for us. And you know what? We need some more Christians become a part of the political process. We need some Christian mayors and some Christian governors and some Christian senators and Christian congresspeople and a Christian president. Do I have a witness in this place? This ain't about sitting back doing nothing. Put the crown on the priest's head. This ain't standing around doing because God, watch this. When you see Jesus for who he is, there are no boundaries with him. You can't just keep Jesus in the church. See, some of us see him as priests, but we don't see him as king. That we believe that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find, to the throne of mercy and find grace in the time of need. We believe that we have a high priest that, that understands our infirmities and our faults and our frailties and our failures. We understand him as priest, but when are you going to recognize him as king? And he ain't just king, he's king of kings. And people don't even understand what that means. King of kings, y'all, the heathen people in their language, the only way they could express the superlative was, to, was through repetition. We express the superlative with E-S-T. So we say holiest. They use repetition, holy of holies. We say the greatest Lord. They use repetition, Lord of lords. We say greatest king. They use repetition, king of kings. So when you look at Jesus Christ, he's not just a king among kings. He is the king of kings. He's the greatest king. He's the one in control. He's the one in power. And that's why it says in verse 13 that when you take the priest, the crown, and put it on the king's head, you're going to have the priestly ministry and you're going to have the kingly ministry and they're going to operate in harmony in the roles that they have. God is letting us know that Jesus is still in charge. It says he sits on the throne. I don't care what has happened in your life. I don't care what Babylon has done, what they've torn down, what they have messed up. Jesus has not abdicated the throne. I don't care who lost the job, whose home got foreclosed, whose marriage fell apart, who couldn't pay their bills, whose car got repossessed. I'm sorry about all of that, but Jesus is still sitting on the throne. I don't care who got sick. I don't care who dropped out of high school. I don't care whose boyfriend broke up with him. Jesus is still sitting on the throne. He's still in charge. He's still in control. Y'all, Jesus is not up in heaven pacing the streets of gold trying to figure out how to get you out of this. Well, I don't know what to do. He ain't up in heaven wringing his hands. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He knows what to do, when to do, and how to do it. I wish I had somebody that knew. He is sitting on the throne. He's king. Uh, 
man, when, when, I, when I was a kid, I was terrible with checkers. We didn't, we didn't have Nintendo 64 and PlayStation and Wii and all that. We, we did have that Atari with that tennis thing. If you want to call that tennis with that little ball, take it two hours to go back and then two more hours to come back across. So we played board games. And one of the board games we played was checkers. And I was terrible, which I got two older brothers and an older sister. And they, they would destroy it. That's why they always wanted to play me, because I was terrible at checkers. I was better at chess than checkers, because I, I knew there was a strategy to chess. I didn't know checkers had a strategy. So everybody, my friends would want to play me. They would beat me. My family would, everybody beat me in checkers. I was terrible. At, but as bad as I was, with all the defeats that I had, I did learn one strategy with checkers. That no matter how many pieces I've lost, how many pieces have been taken off the board? If I could just get one piece to King Row, if I can get one piece to King Territory, I say crown it. Put a crown on it. And once you got a crown on it, once you got the king, then the nature of the game changed. Now I can move in ways I hadn't been able to move. Now I can jump in ways I hadn't been able to jump. Why? Because I got the king territory. I got the crown on the right thing. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't care what defeats you've had in your life. I don't care how bad it's been in the past. I don't care what you've lost. But if you can get to King Jesus, the nature of your life is getting ready to change. You'll be able to do what you hadn't been able to do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Somebody ought to shout amen. Wait, wait, wait. It, it says, it says, and his glory, that he, verse, verse 13, he will bear the glory. He will bear the glory. Yeah, I don't just, just see him as, as the priest and the king. I don't just see him as Jesus, God's salvation. I don't just see him as the one in charge and in control. But now I can see his glory. I love that. Jesus wouldn't even be born for 2,500 years. And Zechariah could already see his glory. See, when you're a man and a woman of vision, when you got the revelation of God, you can see the glory of God even before it shows up. He, the, the glory, that special position, that special place, that special person, that, that special power. And, and, and Zechariah saw his glory even before it came. We sit in this beautiful building now. We got all this technology and we see all that. See, for some of us, we just now see it. But what's so interesting about it, Darren Shesky saw this 12 years ago. I mean, we, we just now see it. We, 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 just, we walk in and we, oh, this is beautiful. This is nice. My son even texted me before I got here and just reminded me how nice the building was. I texted him back, son, I was here last night. I know it's nice. Pastor Darren was telling me about the record number of people showing up at church Sunday to worship God and all the people that accepted Christ and got baptized. And we just now see it. Pastor Darren saw it 12 years ago. Because when you are a person of vision, when you have the revelation and the anointing of God through his Holy Spirit, you're able to see the glory of God even before it shows up. And what's so bad about it, some of us, and not only just not see it before it happens, some of us can't even see it when it's happening. At, at least John the Baptist could see it, the glory of God, when it happened. John chapter 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that Word became flesh. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The 
only begotten. Yeah, we beheld the glory, but they weren't able to see it until he got here. And even now, with all this glory, some of us still can't see it. Even right now, with all the souls being saved, all the lives being changed, with pastors and Christian leaders coming from all over the country to tell you how great you are, some of us can't see the forest for the trees. But somebody got to come from 800 miles to tell you, my goodness, look at the glory of God. Because some of us can't even see it when it's happening. At least John the Baptist could see it when it's happening. Here's what I'm afraid of. That some of us won't even be able to recognize the glory of God until it's gone. God is moving in your life. God is moving in your marriage and family. God is doing things with your children. There's some stuff that is happening right now. And some of us can't even see it. Don't have enough faith and confidence in God to know it's the hand of God moving. And for some of us, it'll be all over. And you'll say, I missed God. God told Moses, went to God and said, God, these people are crazy. And I ain't going to be able to pass to these people without seeing you. God, we need to have a one-on-one. I can't deal with all this. And, and God told Moses, you can't, you can't see me face to face. If you see me in all of my glory, you just die. Nobody could take all that at one time. God said, here's what I'm going to let you do. Though. He says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock. And I'm, then don't you cover your eyes till I pass by. Now, once I pass by, I'll, then you can uncover your eyes and you can see the trail of my glory. And that's where some of us are. We can't even see God's glory right in front of us. But when it's all over, we'll be able to see the trail of his glory. That all the hell I'm going through now, the breakup I've had, getting stabbed in my back by friends, losing my job, preacher, no wonder I can't see his glory. But once it's all over, you're going to look back and say, now I see what God was doing. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God. It's, it's being able to see the glory of the Lord. And I, I, I noticed this, that there is a, Joe Freeman, there is a sequence to understanding Scripture. Scripture is in the Bible in sequence. It, it's, it's, it, it's a certain order. So we see vision, then we see contribution, then we see glorification. Here's what we try to do. We try to see glorification then want to make a contribution. God says, no, if you want to see my glorification, then the contribution precedes that. In other words, if you're going to see his glory, you got to give first to see his glory. Y'all, I'm not making up. You can read Zechariah for yourself. First they gave, then they saw his glory. Now I know some of us have not seen the glory of God because we have not given. And I know your argument with God. God, show me your glory and I will give. God says, no, first you give, then I'll show you my glory. Because God says, I can't always count on you to give, but you can always count on me to show you my glory. Is there anybody in here that has seen the glory of God, the move of God, the work of God? Because no man can do the works that this man is doing except God be with him. And all of that, God said, is for them to build my temple. God told them, look here, God, same context, that you all had enough time to build your own luxury home. But look at my house. And God said, it's time for you to start building my house. And the Bible says, that these men came from Babylon and others came and they built the temple of God. But I noticed this, 
they didn't build God's house until they saw Jesus. Our church has been, I don't know how many, but we've built at least four, five. We've built a lot of buildings. So people invite me around the country to talk about church building. And I don't know anything about architecture. I don't know anything about none of that. I, I can't tell a two-by-four from a four-by-four. Four. I can't. I don't know anything about foundation, none of that. But they invite me around the country, and they ask, what is the secret of building buildings? Because many Christian leaders think if you build the building, build the house of God, then the people will come and see Jesus. But if you read Zechariah, first you get people to see Jesus, and they will build the house of God. So the issue is, and Pastor Darren, you are right on target getting people a right relationship with God, getting people to see him as priest, prophet, and king, getting that vision and that revelation. And when you do that, when you get people to see Jesus, then they will come and build the house of God. And there is nothing that you cannot do without God. Heartland Church, it is a trick of the enemy to make you think that you've already leveled off, that all the things that God is showing your pastor is an impossibility. It is not impossible. All things are possible if you just believe. There is nothing you cannot do when you put your faith and your trust and your hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I told our church the other day that a bumblebee is not supposed to be able to fly. Do your own research. A bumblebee, the, the, the aerophysicists have studied it. A bumblebee, it is impossible for a bumblebee to fly. Their bodies are too fat. Their wings are too small. They can't fly. Their wings are too, too small to handle fat bodies that the bees have. The wings are too light to handle that heavy load. Bumblebees are not supposed to be able to fly. They do not have an aerodynamic shape like an eagle. That eagle can flap his or her wings a few times and stretch out that seven-foot wingspan and fly for miles because of the aerodynamic shape of an eagle. It's easy to see how they can fly. Planes are designed after eagles. But bumblebee? When is the last time you saw an airplane that looked like a bumblebee? Because bees are not supposed to be able to fly. It is impossible. It is a, it, when you look at physicists and, and what they've studied and looked, bees cannot fly. It is impossible. And you know what? If bees hung around us, we would remind them too. You can't fly. You too fat for those little wings to hold you up. You too big for those light wings to keep. If bees hung around us, we would constantly remind them, you crazy thinking you could fly. You will never get that off the ground. You, this will never fly. I'm so glad bees don't hang out with us. Because every morning a bee gets up, they do the impossible. They fly because they don't listen to everybody telling them what they can't do. Pastor Darren and Heartland Church, don't you listen to nobody saying what you can't. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. I used to think that, that I would be all alone. I used to think that life was nothing but a sad song. But now I know the meaning of true love because I'm leaning on the everlasting arm. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. 
I spread my wings and fly away. I believe I can fly. Is there anybody in here that believes that you can go from faith to faith and level to level and glory to glory and that there's nothing that God cannot accomplish in your life? We can do all things through Christ that gives us strength. God bless you.